I hope you guys are excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to proclaim God's word to you guys. Are you guys awake still? Don't make me have to play another game, all right? The balcony, are we awake this morning? All right, there's five of you, awesome. Um, well, my name is Daniel Stevanis. My friends call me Stallion or Stow because my parents are missionaries overseas. Hopefully they're watching the live stream, Mom. See, okay, I dressed up nice, all right. Um, I had to dress up nice today because we're in the traditional service because I was with the eight o'clock people this morning, so I want to make sure that, you know, that I was, was looking good, looking the part. And I always figure, I mean, at least once a year, uh, I, I could dress up nice, okay? If I have to, I, I could do it. Um, in all seriousness, it is, it is awesome to be here. It is awesome to, to be talking and bragging a little bit about our student ministry, about what we get to do. Uh, it's also cool to see some of our leaders in here this morning who help us out every single week. And let me just remind you, shameless plug, if ever you're interested in getting involved student ministry, please come talk to me. There's a lot of places where we can plug people in uh, and get you involved. But before we get started this morning, I do want to give you guys a little bit of an update. A lot of people ask me uh, how I'm doing health-wise. Um, some of you guys know uh, two summers ago, the summer of 2016, I was diagnosed with a pretty curable type of cancer, but I did have to go um, through four rounds of chemotherapy all throughout that summer. Uh, it was pretty intense, pretty rough, and as the fall hit, things were kind of going better. I got back to work. Everything was going well. Um, and then about a year later, almost to the date of when I was first diagnosed, um, the doctors in one of my follow-up scans, they did find a few more traces of cancer. So this past summer, then in 2017, I had to undergo a pretty intense surgery where they pretty much cut, cut me open, took out what wasn't supposed to be there, um, and, and I'm, I'm working on the healing process right now. Uh, I, I had a scan. They, at the end of the surgery, they did a scan, and they said they saw something in one of my lungs. Uh, they said it was a lung nodule, and it's probably nothing. They said, don't worry about it. Just come back in three months, and we'll check again. Well, that's not always super easy to do, just sit around and wait for three months. Uh, so this past Monday was the day of the scan. Uh, I was super nervous, and so I reached out. A bunch of people have been praying for me, and I'm super happy to tell you guys, on Thursday I went in, and the doctor said that everything is gone, and everything looks good, and it's, it's clear. And so... I, I do praise the Lord for that, and, and thank you guys for your prayers. And let me remind you, encourage you guys, um, this was something totally new for me, the, the world of cancer, until I experienced it. Um, and we have friends and families, members who are going through stuff all the time, and so be sure to keep them in prayer. Uh, it really is an encouragement. It was such an encouragement for me uh, to know that people out there are thinking about me and praying, um, and we believe in prayer, amen, that, uh, that, the word, that our, our words, our proclamation to God really can do some great things. And so keep praying for, for those um, who are fighting. Well, this morning we're going to be going through a message called Own It, and I need to set it up for you guys. I need to explain it for you guys just a little bit, and so I'm going to tell you about our summer in student ministry. Uh, this past summer we did for the first time what we did, and, and Danny referenced it, a thing called staycation. We said instead of going away to camp, we're just going to stay here and do something. And so we took a couple of days, and we did different activities in the mornings, and every night we came back to our student room, did our sessions there. Adrian Dupree came, Adrian Dupree came and spoke and did an incredible job, really challenging our students to say, man, is what you believe actually what you believe, or do you just believe it because your parents do, just because you've been going to church, because you have to, you have to be there? And a lot of our students felt challenged, felt rattled um, through that. And so when we started things back up in August, we decided, man, we need to kind of keep going on this. We need to drive this point home a little bit. And so we decided to start our series with this message called Own It. 
Now for our kickoffs, a lot of times we'll get our middle school and high school students together. And so we did that. We got everyone together in our student room. And, and I'm, I'm not one who's, who's big to share numbers, but, but let me tell you this. When we got together, we, we came in the room and we knew there was going to be more people than usual. So we set up a few extra rows of chairs. And once the lobby got packed and got full, Trevor came to me and said, dude, I think we need to let them in early. I mean, we're, we're like walking around like sardines like this. So we opened up the doors, let all the students in. And as they started to sit down, he came to me and said, Stal, I think we're going to need more chairs. I said, okay. So we got some more chairs out, filled out the, the side rows, add another row in the front. And, and, and within minutes, that was full. And he came back to me and said, I think we're still going to need more chairs. And so we went and we started grabbing chairs from classrooms. We sent leaders up the hallway to get stuff from the fellowship hall. We, we found pretty much every chair that was available in this building. And we packed out that room. And, and like I said, I don't, I don't typically share numbers, but, but this is pretty remarkable for our student ministry and kind of a milestone for us. We had the final count. The final number was 379 students in that room. And we were packed in there. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. And, and we were packed in there, and we were able to share this message of, of owning your faith, of saying, man, there is something so important. There is something so important about owning your faith, about making it your own, about not just saying, man, I've grown up in the church. I've been going to VBS. I, I go to all the camps. I do all the things. I go through the motions. But truthfully, to say, do you believe what you're actually claiming? Do you believe what we're actually preaching? Do you actually believe this for yourself? Now, it's easy enough to say it to students, but I think the truth is that we got to ask ourselves this same question. And for us, it might look a little differently, but do we believe intellectually, and do we allow for that belief to come down to our heart and then in, in turn move out into action? And that's what we're going to talk about today, about owning it, about owning our faith. You see, this is why it's so critical. This is why it's so huge. When we own something, we take better care of it. Amen. When we own something, we take better care of it. That's why, let me ask you this, have you ever stayed in a hotel room? Okay, and you go to check out, what do we do? Well, I know what we don't do, we don't clean up, all right? We use like six towels just to dry our hair, we throw it all on the ground, right? If we've rented a house, especially like on vacation, we're willing to pay an extra fee just so somebody else will come in and clean it up after us because we're really not gonna clean it up that well. I mean, the same thing happens, I mean, that's why we have security deposits when we rent a house or an apartment, because we're just not going to take care of it the, the way that the owner would. You see, this is interesting for me, because my dad, he, he loves cars, and he loves keeping his car clean. And he was the kind of guy, like, we'd go on vacation, before we left for vacation to go on a road trip, he would clean his car. Like, I'm talking, like, wash the outside, I'm like, Dad, we're, we're about to drive 10 hours, there's going to be bugs all in the front again anyway in five minutes. And he would vacuum the inside, I'm like, Dad, we're, we're going to stop and have meals inside of the car, it's going to be a mess again. But he told me about this story one time. I, I, I've never forgotten it. He was with some pastors, and they decided to go. They were going to a, a retreat or a pastor's conference in Texas. It was about six pastors. They got on the airplane, landed in Texas to go to this conference. They stopped at the car rental place. When they went to go rent the car, the guy said, listen, we don't have a car. The, the car we thought we had a reserve for you guys isn't here, so all we have is this small little sedan. If you could, just, just deal with this for a day. Come back tomorrow afternoon. We'll, we'll swap out cars for you guys. And so the guys were flexible. I mean, they're, they're pastors, you know? So they, they got in the car, three in the front, three in the back, sitting like this, and they went out to dinner that first night uh, to a nice Texan restaurant, and one of them ordered surf and turf. So he had some good meat, he had some shrimp left over, decided to get a little to-go box. They came in, put it in the car, got to the hotel, and it was just kind of like the, the, the commotion of everything, the lateness. They got out of the car, went to the hotel, and spent the night. Well, the next morning they woke up, went back to the conference in the car, and in the afternoon, after the car had sat in the parking lot all day, with this food in a little to-go box all day, you can see where the story is going, two of the guys, my dad being one of them, decided to return the rental car. 
And so they drove back to the rental car price. And nowadays, you just kind of drop off and you give them the keys and everything. But back then, you would go like in the lot and find your specific car. And so they drove back, found their car, parked it side by side, started moving things over. And when, they, when my dad found the box of food, you know, almost like with like a, a hazmat suit, had to like, you know, like open it and, you know, there's fumes coming out. Closed it and looked at the other pastor. He said, what do I do with this? And the other pastor got a big grin on his face. He said, pass it to me. And so he took it, he pulled his pen out, and he wrote free meal with rental of this car, and he put it up in the dashboard <laughs> to bake some more. You see, when it's not ours, if we don't own it, we don't really take as good care of it. But when it's something that is ours, we're all in, we're committed, we, we want to be there. It's, now listen, we're, we're going we're to take hold of it, we're going to do whatever we can. And my, my prayer this morning as we look at God's word is that hopefully we would understand the importance of taking God's word and owning it of making it our own, whether we're, we're, we're young people singing in a choir or coming on a Wednesday night, or whether we've been Christians for our whole lives, may this be a check for us this morning. Do we truly own our faith? Is it really something that is ours? Are we putting it into practice? And so we'll answer this question, how do we own our faith? Now, you need to, you need to bear with me, okay? I, I grew up Baptist, and so oh, this message has three points, all right? Okay, this is what we do, three points and a poem at the end, all right? This, this is how it's going to go. And so what I'm going to do is we'll look at these points, and the first two, we're going to go a little bit quicker, okay? They're a little bit easier to grasp, to understand, and then we're going to camp out on the third point in a little bit, but we're answering this question of how do we own our faith? You guys with me still? All right, we'll play another game. Uh, number one, you got to know what you believe, okay? It's important to know what you believe. Now, we said this starts kind of intellectually, and we'll see how, how it progresses and moves, but it's important that you know what you believe, you see, everyone has understood this. We, we understand that if we can have a mission statement or a vision statement, a way to, to explain something in, in a concise and clear way, that'll motivate us, that will drive us, that will help us as we move forward. We need to know what we believe. And it's interesting because there's businesses and churches that have horrible mission statements, mainly because they're too complex to understand or to remember, to even recite. One of the privileges that I have is on, on Wednesday mornings, and, and I know some of you guys aren't going to believe this, but on Wednesday mornings, I actually wake up really, really early, okay? I wake up, and I leave Lexington by 5.30 in the morning. It's early for me. Some of you guys are like, eh, not impressed. Okay? On Wednesday mornings, I leave Lexington by 5.30 in the morning, and I go to Columbia International University. That's the Bible college where I got my degree. And I go over there, and I help teach an outdoor leadership class. And some friends of mine have been in the class. I took the class, and I know the professor. And I go, and I help him teach that class. And one of the things that we do as part of the class is we go, on a, go away on a weekend retreat up in the mountains. I'm talking like backpacking, the big, tall thing. Like, it's all heavy, and you're hiking in. And when we do that, one of the things that we do in the advanced version of the class is we'll get some of the students, and we'll say, okay, this is your retreat. It's, it's your time. You get to plan this. You need to come up with a vision for the weekend. You've got to decide what do you want to do? What do you think God is trying to do in, in, in your life? What, what hikes will you take? What scripture, what devotions are we going to do? And we let them lead this. And so two or three of them usually catch the vision, like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's hash this out. And they'll sit around, and they'll find a theme verse for the week, and they'll talk about their vision. And, and usually it's like this long three, four sentences of what God is going to do during their time there. And so there's a, part, a couple of them who have collaborated together, who have put it together. And so the first one shares it, and then the second one kind of repeats it. And by the time the third one comes around, they're all excited. they got a big grin on their face, and, and they tell us what the vision is, and they think now we can start the weekend. And typically we'll find whoever was the most silent will say, okay, Repeat it for us. And nine times out of ten, they have no clue what was being said. And so it's important that when it comes to our walk with God, our faith, our relationship, in order to own it, we must first know it. We must first understand it. And we're going to come back to it, but point number two is this. We need to also not be ashamed of what we believe. 
We need to not be ashamed of what we believe. Now, this is huge for students, because we can talk to them about it all the time. Students, and especially in middle school and high school, one of their number one concerns is to be able to go along their day and fit in with the crowd. All right, the, the worst thing you do to a student is, is point out, is call them out, and show their differences in front of other people. You just want to put your head down and, and be like everyone else. And yet it's tough because God's message, his gospel, calls us to live a life that is different. And sometimes that's going to cause some uncomfortability. Sometimes it's going to cause us to have to say some things or act a little differently or make decisions that aren't in line with what everyone else is doing. And so uh, we can say this for students is, is, is an easy application, but the same is true for us as adults. Sure, it might be culturally acceptable to be a part of a church. And man, what a privilege we have to say, man, I'm a part of Mount Horeb. I go there on Sunday mornings. I go there on Wednesday nights. I was there for the fall festival. We, we had fireworks coming out of the back parking lot. It was awesome. But when it comes to the day-to-day, to our decisions, to our choices, it's also difficult for us, if we're honest, to own our faith, to not be ashamed of it, to not be embarrassed of it. Listen, just the other day, in preparation for this, I did what every good youth pastor does before he speaks in big church. I went and I got a haircut. Okay? Again, not for you guys. It was the 8 o'clock. I wanted to to make sure I looked good for the 8 o'clock, all right? And so I went to the barber shop the other day, and when I got in there, there was, there was a mom with two kids sitting there waiting, and I, uh, you know, waved to the barber, you know, kind of got my place in line, make sure I connected eyes with him. And I sat down, and I noticed on the TV over in the corner, they were playing a movie. I hadn't seen the movie before, but I was familiar with it enough to know that it actually was a horror movie. And so I was sitting there, and I immediately put two and two together. I said, man, there's this mom with two little kids, horror movie playing over here. At some point... Something gross or, or scary is going to happen on the TV. This kid does not need to be seeing this. I didn't know the age of the kid, and, and I, I mean, it's kind of, I came into the situation, I'm not involved, and I started thinking all these things. Maybe I should say something. No, I don't know the kid, I don't know the mom, I don't really know the movie. This is not my barbershop. And I started coming up with all these ideas. I started to get embarrassed of what it would be like to stand up for something, to say something. And so wouldn't you know, sure enough, just like I thought, I I was quiet, but sure enough, an image came on, a scene came on that was totally scary. I was scared, shaking in my boots. This little kid gasped. He's like, ah. And the barber walked over like, oh, I guess I should change the channel. And he put the Disney channel on, which was probably worse, okay? I was scared to watch that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's easy in our everyday life, in all of our situations, we've got to be reminded in order to stand up for God, in order to, to, to show what he is asking of us, in order to, to, to live out our faith, there's going to be some times that are embarrassing. There's going to be times we may even be ashamed about what we're talking about. But, but Paul writes to, to the people in, in Rome, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, this famous verse that we quote a lot, it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is in the introduction of his letter. This is during a time of persecution where believers were being captured. They were being tortured. They were being killed because of their faith. And he says, before we go any further, let me tell you, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he also gives why. Because he understands it intellectually, because he knows it. He says, for... It is the power for salvation to all who believe, first to the Greek and then to the Gentile. He says, for it is powerful. The word there for power in the Greek is the word dunamis. And from that word, we get the word dynamite. Dynamite's powerful. It's explosive. It's a lot of power concentrated in a small area. I remember with my aunt, we used to play rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And whenever she would get frustrated because we were winning or because you know, we just wanted to keep playing and playing and playing, she finally would go like this, rock, paper, scissors, and shoot. 
I was like, what's that? She said, dynamite, I win. Okay, and that was her way of ending the game. But, but Paul says, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's powerful, it gives salvation. And so we need to understand, in order to own our faith, we first must understand it intellectually. We must understand that, 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 that God said, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every single person has done something to offend God, who's done something against God's word, who's done something against the gospel. And the payment of that sin is death, eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. But... For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not die, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the message of the gospel. That's where it starts. If we want to own our faith, if we want to own what we believe, if we want to claim Christianity, if we want to say that we're followers of Christ, if we want to tell people the good news, this is what we need. We need to know our faith and we need to not be ashamed of our faith because it is powerful. It's salvation. And then the last point, this is where we're going to camp out for a little bit, is that you must count the cost before you believe. You must count the cost before you believe. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke 14. This is a scripture that was read. We're going to take a look at some of the verses here. In Luke 14, Jesus is addressing a crowd like he very often does, and he's speaking with them, and he's sharing with them, and he's going to be talking about some things, about the cost of discipleship. But before we get to that, let me also say that that belief here as we're using this term is a very active term. You see, we kind of think in our minds like, oh yeah, I mean, I believe you. I believe it's going to rain. I believe it looks good. I believe all these. And we just kind of go through this list. We use this word casually. But the truth is this. If we truly believe something, that belief needs to move us to action. For instance, if I believe it's going to rain tomorrow, what will I do tomorrow morning before I leave my house? What? I keep threatening you guys with a game. I feel like a game would be like a reward for me, but it's a threat to you. Before I leave my house, I would get an umbrella. That belief determines and moves me to action to go and do something about it. If I go out to lunch today and I believe that something on the menu looks good, what will I then do? I'll order it. I'll get it. If I believe that something is going to happen, if I believe something strongly enough, that will impact my decision, that will impact my action. Oftentimes we'll tell students that, that to have faith is kind of like sitting in a chair. But because you believe that the chair is going to hold you, because of time and time again you've done that, you're able to move and act and sit into that chair because of that belief. And so in order to own our faith, we have to know what we believe. We have to not be ashamed of it. But also we need to count the cost. And so here we see Jesus teaching. And interestingly enough, he gives three points. I don't know if there's a connection. Maybe Jesus was Baptist too. I don't know. I don't know. We're just looking at the text, okay? Verse 25 says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 28, for which of you desiring to, sorry, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then we skip down to verse 33. He says, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus gives us three things right off the bat. The first one he says, whoever does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even his own life cannot be my disciples. Now before you hear anything crazy, all right, before you feel justified by that family member you don't like, all right, it's Thanksgiving, it's coming up, you're going to have to sit next to them during the meal, all right? Before you hear anything, understand that when he says that you must hate someone, he's not speaking about hate as, as we've been intended, okay? Right, Jesus' whole message is, is not hate, it's anti-hate. 
The idea, the expression that is used here by hating someone is actually loving them less. In the Old Testament, it says that Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. And it says Rachel he loved, Leah he hated, meaning Leah he loved less. He was the one that he was tricked into marrying. Rachel was his first choice. And so in a similar way here, when we look at this message, God isn't saying go out and hate people, go out and hate your family, hate yourself. He's saying love these things less than you love me. That's why whenever we, we say, what are your priorities? It should always start with God and then family and, and so on and so forth. God is at the top. He's at, 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 the, at the beginning, at the start of it all. And he says, if you can't do that, think about this for a second. If you can't get there, then, then maybe you shouldn't be a disciple. I come first. Verse 27, if you don't bear your own cross, then you cannot come after me to be my disciple. Now, they didn't totally get this and understand this, but, but Jesus is preparing them. He's giving them the explanation for what he's about to do by dying on the cross. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to be willing to bear your cross. In other parts of the Bible, it's, it talks about to follow Christ, we must die to self. We must embrace all that God has for us, no matter what. We have to be willing to be obedient, dependent, and surrender. That's why it says if anyone wants to gain his life, he should lose it. It's not actually losing it, it's surrendering it to him. If you're willing to surrender your life to God, it means that no matter what's going to come of it, no matter what's going to happen, no matter what kind of phone call you get from a doctor, no matter what kind of tragedy, what kind of anything, you're, you're, whatever God asks of you, you're saying, Lord, I'm giving it, I'm surrendering it to you. And he says you need to be willing to do that in order to be my disciple and in verse 33, he says, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This idea of renouncing what you have, he, he already used this in, in chapter 5, verse 11 and 28, when he was calling the disciples. And it says they, they dropped their nets, they renounced what they had in order to follow him. They, they gave it up, they, they, they let go of it in order to follow him. The story, the famous story, it comes later in, in, this, in the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 18, it talks about the rich young ruler. He says, he says, Lord, I've come to you, Jesus. I've followed every commandment. I've done everything you've said. I've, I've, I've obeyed you. I've done everything. I've followed all the rule. And he says, one thing that you have left, sell everything you have, renounce, denounce everything that you own, and follow me. And it says the rich man walked away troubled because what he owned was a great deal. Are we willing to let go of all that we have to follow Christ? Are we willing to love him more than anything else, even our own lives? And are we willing to bear our cross to say, God, it's not my will, but yours be done. And then there's these two verses in here that we, we read during our scripture that Hannah read for us. It says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, a, build and was not able to finish. Listen, we're used to counting the cost all the time. We count the cost for, for all sorts of things. Black Friday is coming up. We're going to be counting some costs, okay? I've seen people. You spread out all the coupons. It's like circle here, arrow there. Oh, 15% off. Get this credit card. Which store are we going to first? We've got it mapped out, right? We've got it all figured out. We count the cost. If we're on a diet program or we're counting calories or points or whatever it is, man, we know exactly how much something is. We are counting the cost. We do this with time every single day. Man, how many stores do I need to go to? Where can I go that I can kill two birds with one stone? What time am I picking up my kids? Can this person go so that I can make it to there? Right? We're always counting the cost. 
And, and the scripture says, if you didn't count the cost of following Christ, it would be like some guy who starts to build a house. You buy a plot of land, you, you decide to build on it, you, you get the contractor out, you start getting the material, you start going, you get halfway through, a quarter, three quarters of the way through, and suddenly you realize, I don't have enough money to finish this house. And that'd be awful. It says it'd be like someone coming up and laughing at you. Look at this guy, started a house and wasn't able to finish it. It's important to count the cost before we start. Verse 30 gives another example. Sorry, 31. What king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet he who comes against them with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet, still yet a great way off, sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Listen, I'm no great mathematician. I'm not a king. I haven't been to war. But I understand simple mathematics. If you have 10,000 men and you're fighting against 20,000 men, probably not going to win. Unless you got dynamite. Okay? Then you're good. And it says, man, if you don't count the cost, it's like going into battle and realizing that, man, I don't have the resources to win. I don't have the resources to get to the other side. I, I, I can't beat my opponent. And so while there's still a great way off, I'm sending notices. Maybe I'm sending gifts. I'm saying, oh, surrender, peace. Let's talk about peace treaties. Before we start, before we enter, before we commit, we must be willing to count the cost. And this example of war is actually has a double meaning where it's also talking about perils. It's talking about dangers. It's talking about difficulties that we will face and that we will encounter. As Christians, as followers of Christ, I mean, we, we've, we've bought into this notion that if we follow Christ, our life's going to be amazing, everything's going to be great, and we're never going to have problems. Well, that's just not accurate. The truth is, though, that as we walk through life with, with our relationship with God, knowing him, owning our faith, we can face all of these things that life throws at us. And here he says, that's part of what you must count, part of the cost before you decide to walk in, before you decide to commit, before you say, yes, I'm in. And if not, it says in the last two verses, verse 34, 35, these two little verses says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. And then as Jesus always says, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says, you know, back in the day, salt was used for preserving stuff and for adding flavor. And I don't know about you, I love salt. I'm always the guy who puts salt on and then I taste it. My mom used to always get mad at me. She's like, taste it first. But it says, man, if you are a believer, and Matthew calls us salt of the earth, that we are to go out in the world just like salt and give that flavor, give, give that, 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 preserve the message of the gospel. And it says, if we are not doing this, if we are not following through in this, if we are not following what Jesus has asked of us and his calling for us, it is like we are salt who has lost its saltiness. And it says in, in other parts of the scripture, it, it's good to be thrown out. It's good to be trampled on. Here it says it's not even good for the soil. It says it's not even good for the manure pile. Now, I'm not a farmer, but, but I understand that that's kind of gross. And the salt isn't even good for that. You see, the thought is this. Before we enter into a relationship with God, that we must count the cost of what it means to truly follow him. And I'm not talking about just going to church. I'm not talking about just claiming Christianity just putting a bumper sticker on our car. I'm saying to truly walk into a relationship with God, to spend time praying with him, to getting to know the Father, to going to know about religion, to knowing God himself, of taking that knowledge that we have and allowing it to come into our heart to where it changes our lives, it impacts our decisions. Everything that we do goes through this filter. 
You know, Trevor spoke here a couple weeks ago, and he gave this illustration, this example, where our life is like these different buckets. Do you guys remember that? And he said, Jesus needs to be in every aspect, in every bucket, in every circle of our life. Not just when it's easy, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's the cool thing to do, as we tell our students, but every single day and everything that we do, we need to fully surrender to him. And he says, listen, before you make a decision, before you come and choose, before you decide, count the cost and think to yourself, can I really commit to this? You see, we like to make Jesus' message easy and accessible, and that's a good thing, because it is easy and accessible, accessible to everyone. But to follow in him, follow in a relationship with him, doesn't mean that every single day is going to be all peachy. doesn't mean that every single situation is going to work out just great. It means that we are committing to following him. We're willing to pay the price. We're willing to think about it ahead of time, to know what we believe, to not be ashamed of what we believe, and to allow that even difficulty even renouncing ourselves, even loving our, our, our God more than anything else, and picking up our cross be the cost that we pay to follow in his footsteps. And like I said, Jesus modeled this for us. He showed this to us. When Jesus came on earth, when he came and started walking among us, it says in Philippians chapter two that he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to be boasted about. Instead, it says that he, he lowered himself and he made himself humble uh, and he put himself in obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gave up all that he had. He, he counted the cost. Did he want to do it? No. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we, we see his prayer. He says, Father, I don't desire this. If there's any other way, let this come to pass. He says, but not my will, but yours be done. And we see his posture of surrender, saying, Father, you know what's best. I want to do what you have for me. And he's obedient to the point of literally picking up his cross and dying for us, providing life for each and every one of us. What happened so long ago that still applies to our students and to us as adults here in 2017 in Lexington, South Carolina, the message of Christ. And the question is simple. Do you own your faith? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just doing what we have to do because it's part of our culture? Or are we truly developing a relationship with God that's moving from our heads to our hearts and then into our actions, into all that we do? We're going to play a closing song this morning. And I would just ask, this is what we do with our students, that, that during this song, as, as the music plays, as, as the words are sung, that you would just take a moment in your heart and in your mind and that, that you would pray and ask God and that you would reflect on this and you would speak to him. You would say, God, where am I with this? Where does this land in my heart? Have I just been going through motions for all this time? Or am I serious about my commitment to you? Am I serious about letting you come into every area of my life? And that may cause me to do some uncomfortable things. That may cause me to speak up sometimes. That may cause me to deal with some issues in my life. But am I willing to say, this is the cost of discipleship. This is what it takes. This is what it's part of signing up. And yet I'm willing to surrender to all that you have.